All right. So this morning we are uh, going back into uh, a series that we've been working slowly through in the book of Genesis. This morning and the next two weeks, Lord willing, we are going to finish uh, the journey that began uh, when we were still online, when we, when we were recording sermons in May of 2020. Uh, so we, we have three weeks left. We're doing, a, a, for those of, our, of you who are newer to Joy, we've been doing a, a flyby series in Genesis. So, so it's 13 weeks to cover 50 chapters. So we obviously are, are not diving deep on any one thing, though we will dive deep on one thing. Uh, so for these three weeks, we are going to focus on the life of Joseph. And I'm going to tell you right up front, this brought a lot of distress to Pastor Larry when he found out this news last week. If you have these yellow slips that talk about the upcoming sermons, I have, I have messed them up. Uh, because I made a change in my plans. They didn't really bring great distress to Pastor Larry. I just like to, I, I like to needle him a little bit every once in a while when I get up here. Uh, so this week we are going to be covering uh, chapters 37 through 40. And we're going to talk about uh, Joseph's rejection and humiliation. Lord willing, next week we are going to cover chapters 41 through 50. And we're going to talk about Joseph's exaltation and the salvation of his people. And in week three, for our final week in the book of Genesis, I am going to zoom in on one verse. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. We're going to talk about where is the Lord in the evils that we face in this world. Where is God in evil? The story of Joseph, and I use the word story. I, I have it in parentheses here to say it over and over again. When I say the story of Joseph, I said this before when we talked about the story of Abraham or the story of Isaac or the story of Adam and Eve. The word story does not mean not true, does not mean uh, a fable. Joseph was a real person. This is a true story. Real people in real history. And the story of Joseph teaches us many rich truths about the love of God, about the sovereignty of God, and it serves as a beautiful shadow, a great pointer of greater fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we are going to focus on chapters 37 through 40 and briefly consider four things. Uh, a brother beloved and despised, a brother who foretells, a brother enslaved and imprisoned, and a brother foreshadowed. So four things. I might not even mention that I've transitioned from one to the other. So if we're like 30 minutes in and you're like, I, I think he's still on point one. When is he going to go to point two? I may already be on point three at that point. A brother beloved and despised, a brother who foretells, a brother enslaved and imprisoned, and a brother foreshadowed. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open to Genesis chapter 37. I'm not going to read, obviously, all four chapters, but I am going to read chapter 37. Starting at verse 1. 
Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he had told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, conspired, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. <coughs> then they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming up from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let us not, let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. <clears throat> and they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit 
and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work among us today. That you would give light to our eyes and, and give us ears to hear what you have to say from your word. Lord, may my words be faithful to your word. May the gospel be clear in what I say. Father, we pray that, that today would even be the day of salvation for some. You are able to save. You are mighty to save. And we thank you for your saving work in our midst. And we pray that it would continue today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kids, as I've been going through the, the, the studies in Genesis, I've been leaning heavily on you because you seem to know a lot of the answers to the questions I ask. And I'm going to need you to answer me loudly if I ask a question. The story of Joseph is a crazy story. Joseph is loved by his dad more than any of his brothers. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret today. I was more loved than any of my siblings uh, by my parents. Uh, that's right. I'm an only child. I, I, I was the most loved in my family. But kids, I'm sure that those of you who do have siblings have never felt this way, right? Never felt like dad and mom love me the most or one of my other siblings more than me. You ever feel that way? You ever say, you ever say, hey, you ever, no? Good. Nobody ever says, uh, well, you, you treat him that way because he's your favorite. That's your favorite kid. None of you does that. Why did Jacob love Joseph the most? Well, it says here that, that Joseph was the son of his old age, but we, we know there, there must be more details than that because he had another son after Joseph, right? Who, who was born after Joseph? Benjamin, very good. That's right. After Joseph was Benjamin. But Joseph was the beloved son of Jacob. Why? Because Joseph was the first son born to whom? Who, who was Joseph's mother? God? Rachel. How did, how did Jacob feel about Rachel? He loved Rachel. He loved Rachel so much that he worked for how long to have her as his wife? Seven 
14 years. 14 years. He only wanted to work seven years. But Laban tricked him. He worked 14 years to have Rachel as his wife. That's a long time. You really got to love a woman to work 14 years to get her. And Jacob loved Rachel. And he loved Joseph. Because Joseph was the first son born to Rachel. We know that Benjamin was also born to Rachel. But what happened to Rachel at the same time that Benjamin was born? She died. Joseph was the son of Rachel. Joseph wore the robe of many colors. Any of your parents make you a robe of many colors to wear around? To show how you're their favorite? Mom does tie-dye with this loud kid in the front. It's my son, all right? So just in case you're visiting, like, man, they really call people out around here. That's, uh, uh, so Joseph wore the coat of many colors. We don't know a ton about the coat of many colors, but we know that it was a sign of honor. It was, it was Jacob's way of like putting something on that Joseph could wear around that says, yep, in case you're wondering, he is my favorite child. I do honor him more than my other children. That's tough if you're the other children. Joseph's brothers hated him because he was favored by his father. They hated him because he wore the coat of many colors. And then he adds to their hatred by giving their father a bad report about them, we see. And then he adds to their hatred again because he has a dream one night. Actually, two dreams. He comes to his siblings, right? Hey, can you imagine this? But look, wait till you hear the dream I had. You guys all bowed down to me. Isn't that crazy? What a crazy dream, right? Did that make his brothers love him more? No. Uh, no. And then he has another dream that the sun and the moon and the stars, those are not just my brothers, but my whole family's gonna bow down to me one day. And they hated him all the more. They hated him all the more, and Jacob rebuked him for saying this dream. But what does it say in that passage? It says, his father kept the saying in mind. Do you notice that when you read that? Does that sound like anywhere else in scripture to you? Mary. That people would come and bring gifts to this Jesus. She had heard from the angel, but not fully understood who Jesus was. But these people who would say things about him, prophesy things about him, bring gifts to him as if they were worshiping him. And, and it says in, in the gospels that Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. She kept them in mind for future. And here we have Jacob. It says he kept the saying in mind. He understood that this wasn't Joseph just being arrogant, that this was a real dream and quite possibly that the Lord had laid this on Joseph's heart. So Joseph's brothers go to pasture Jacob's flock north of where they live and Jacob sends Joseph to check in on them. They see him coming and they formulate a plot to kill him. Kill the dreamer. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. We'll put an end to his dreams. But Reuben... The oldest son has a different plan. Throw him in the pit, but don't kill him. 
Why? Could be to torture him. Could be because he wants to be the hero, right? Reuben has not had a real successful history with his father. We learn at the end of chapter 35 that Reuben did something very awful to his father to disgrace his father's name. And maybe it is that he thinks, if I save my father's beloved son, I'll get back into dad's good graces. And so he says, let's just throw him in the pit. And then he plans to come rescue him. So the brothers listen to Reuben and they strip Joseph of his robe and they throw him in the pit. All throughout the story of Joseph, I'm going to point to this later, but so much imagery, so much gospel foreshadowing, right? Stripped of his robe, thrown in the pit unjustly. We know another who would be stripped of his robes, sent to the pit, disgraced willingly for the sake of brothers and sisters who did this to him. And so he's in the pit and we have this throwaway line in 3725, and they sat down to eat. Did you notice that in there? It's like, all right, hey, listen, we threw him in the pit, sat down to eat. They have no care. They are not concerned at all about what they've done to their brother. These brothers were acting wretchedly. No conviction, no sadness, just moving on, hardened. Life will be easier without Joseph around. But then they see this caravan of Ishmaelites heading their way. Good old Ishmael. A thorn in the side of Israel, yet ultimately in this purpose, or in this case, serving God's good purposes. And the brothers really, did you, I hope as you read 37, you noticed that the brothers really develop a heart of compassion for Joseph as this story goes on, right? They've thrown him in the pit. They're sitting there having lunch. And they say, wait a second, here's a caravan of Ishmaelites. We could sell him as a slave instead. I mean, he is our brother after all, right? Don't they say that, right? Did you notice that in there? He is our flesh. We should probably not kill him. We should probably sell him. Siblings, huh? Ever think about that? Have you ever thought how much could I get for one of my siblings? Uh, if, I, if a caravan of Ishmaelites ever happens to be wandering down the street? I might just take a, take a check in and see what the going rate is for a brother. This is beautiful. He is our brother after all. Let's just sell him into slavery. Joseph is sold for 20 shekels of silver. Again, foreshadowing, right? One who would be sold by a brother for silver. Joseph goes to Egypt. And I have a couple questions and observations from this. First of all, all right, they come up with this plan. Reuben gets them to change the plan. They sit down to eat. They sell Joseph. Did you ever think as you read this passage, where's Reuben? You ever, you ever ask that question? What happened to Reuben? Where did he go? Where is he to say, no, no, this is a bad idea, guys. We know that he's not there because he comes back into the story after it's done. Reuben is nowhere to be found. 
Reuben is conspicuously absent when a savior is needed. He is a poor savior. Second, did you note that there is no fight mentioned from Joseph? You don't get, you don't get any back and forth. You don't get him saying, no, don't do this. You don't get him trying to have a fist fight with his brothers to get away from them, right? He's just sold. Why isn't he trying to get free? We don't know how it all played out, but certainly once again, we see the, the shadow, the shadow of the suffering servant, the one who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, the one who went willingly. Joseph goes at least quietly like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. At least quietly, if not willingly. And the brothers, including Reuben, come up with a plan. They say they found Joseph's robe torn and covered with blood. The robe was dipped in goat's blood. All right, kids, I'm going to get you to stretch your minds now. Adults maybe too. So we have a robe. We have goats. And we have deceit. Does that sound like anything you've heard in the past in Genesis? Who's that sound like? Jacob, right? The deceit that Jacob and Rebekah carry out to pretend that he's Esau. We talked a few, like a month or two ago when I was in the earlier part of Genesis, that just like Jacob gave him somebody in his life who was just like him and who was a thorn in his side, Laban, in the same way, this most grievous and heartbreaking thing that happens in the life of Jacob has echoes from the past of his deceit of Esau. Jacob is inconsolable as his sons tell him the story and none is able to comfort him. But comfort will come. Joseph is sold to Egypt to one of Pharaoh's officers. We see in chapter 38, we didn't read chapter 38. Chapter 38, I would encourage you parents, if you're reading this with your children, there's a lot to be explained and we're going to go through it very surface level right now. But chapter 38 is another part of this crazy story. From the time of Joseph's sale to Egypt and the time of famine between those two times, Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, starts a family with a Canaanite woman named uh, or the daughter of, of a man named Shua. She gave birth to Ur and Onan. Judah takes a wife for, for both, or for Ur, named Tamar. But Ur and his brother Onan, what happens to them? They get struck dead by God because they're so wicked. Struck dead. Tamar is told to wait patiently. For a third, the third child by the son of Judah, Shelah. But Judah deals unfaithfully Tamar with Tamar. He's thinking, all right, two of my sons have been married to Tamar. They're dead. I'm not giving her my third son. But he says, just wait, wait. You can have him. But then she ends up, she realizes he's, he's not telling the truth. And she tricks him into making her pregnant. And I won't go into all the details, but needless to say, Tamar acts sinfully 
and Judah acts even more sinfully. It's such a weird and awful story and it ends with Perez and Zerah being born. It serves to highlight how wicked Israel had become, but it also serves to show us that our God makes glorious redemption projects out of our messes, out of our sin, out of our wickedness. Do you know where the story of Judah and Tamar appears again in scripture? Do you know? Matthew chapter one, the lineage of Jesus. How can it be? Because our God is a wonderful redeemer. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah would show, showcase the grace and mercy of our heavenly father. Jesus would come from the tribe of Judah. You read Genesis chapter 38 and know nothing else. And I tell you, guess what? Savior of the world coming from that family. What? Our God is rich in mercy. And we learn in chapter 39 that Joseph served in the house of Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. He serves faithfully and diligently. And it's worth us noting uh, that he has been sold, removed from his homeland, despised by his brothers, and yet he still desires to glorify God in his actions. He still desires to bring glory to God. And, and it should uh, cause us to pause. We need to examine ourselves. Often we are willing to glorify God as long as life goes well for us. We're okay with, with seeking God's glory in prosperity, in good times, praising God as long as he does things the way we want him to do them. But here we see in Joseph a desire to glorify God in all circumstances. I ask you today, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that your heart's aim and desire? To glorify God, not just when things are going easy, not just when you got the coat of many colors on and, and your father's singing the praises of you, but when you are sold, when you are in the land of poverty, when you are weak and struggling, is it your heart's desire to praise God in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows? We see here in chapter 39, along with later in chapter 40, that God was with Joseph. Look, look in uh, chapter 39 if you still have your Bibles open. If not, you can open them back up. It's not too hard. Genesis is pretty easy to find right at the start. Genesis 39. Verse 2. So he sold the Potiphar. And it says here in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Later in 39, after he ends up in prison, which we'll talk about, 21, 39, 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The Lord was with Joseph in slavery. The Lord was with Joseph 
in prison. Did you know that being in times of trial does not mean that the Lord has forgotten you? Did you know that going through hardship does not mean that the Lord is against you? The Lord was with him. No matter the situation, Joseph lived life as before the face of God. He lived with integrity, even when he encountered sin. Potiphar's wife tried to make him sin against God and against Potiphar, but Joseph refused. He knew, like David in Psalm 51, that ultimately his sin would be against the Lord. He says it in 39.9. I can't do this thing and sin against the Lord. Joseph refused to sin against the Lord and against Potiphar. And once again, Joseph falls victim to the evil passions of another. Potiphar's wife goes after him, but he refuses her advances. He wants to glorify God. And once again, one of his garments is left behind. And she uses this garment to falsely accuse Joseph of sinning against her. While these accusations are untrue, Potiphar is angry and he puts Joseph into prison, the prison where the king's prisoners are confined. This is another painful blow for Joseph. Joseph had a rough go of it. How long was this, uh, this period of his life? A couple weeks? Anybody know? About 13, 14 years. You got to be careful when you're reading the Old Testament. Every once in a while, I'll have a person say to me like, why can't I have a, you know, like a life like David's or a life like Joseph's? You know, why the exaltation, the glory, you know, all the good stuff. It's like, well, all right, you understand if you read it correctly, you're going to have to go through a long period of downtime, real bad downtime. And Joseph was seeking to glorify the Lord no matter what lot in life he had. The Lord is still with Joseph. And Joseph is in the king's prison. And he encounters these two prisoners, the cupbearer and the baker. And they both have dreams and they're sad because nobody can interpret them. But who can interpret them? God can interpret them. And who does he use to interpret them? Joseph. And Joseph hears the cupbearer's dream and he says, ah, great news for you. In a few days, your head is going to be lifted up and you're going to be restored to your position as the king's cupbearer. So the baker hears that and the baker's like, all right. Can you tell me what my dream means? Joseph says, I can. In a few days, your head is going to be lifted up from you. That's what he says. That's what the Bible says. And, and so he interprets these dreams correctly. They come to pass and the cupbearer says to Joseph, I'm not going to forget you, man. The moment I get in front of Pharaoh, first thing I'm telling Pharaoh about is you and what you did for me. And that happens, right? No, two more years, Joseph is in prison. Two more years. And where was the Lord? 
with him in those two years where he probably woke up every morning thinking maybe today is the day when the cupbearer will remember my name. The Lord was with him. Brothers and sisters, this has wonderful applications for us. How often have we walked through trials, suffering, struggles, even persecution, and wondered, Lord, where are you? Are you there? Do you hear me? Are you real? The pain of Joseph is a strong reminder that the Lord does not forget his children. He has not forgotten his people. He who gave his son, he didn't spare his son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Right? Romans chapter 8. And all the stuff that Paul says after that, that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God the Father that is yours in Jesus Christ. Nothing. No trial. No suffering. No persecution. No struggle. Nothing. That can separate you from the love of God the Father that is yours in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, he went through, he knows what it is to go through trials. He gave up the good life to follow Christ. He has a thorn in his flesh and he pleads with God three times. Please take it away from me. What does the Lord say to him? No. No. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So often the Lord desires to show off the glory of his power, his greatness through our weakness. Joseph did not give up, did not give in, because he knew that through his life, the Lord would show off his greatness. Even if, he, if it meant he died in prison. We must arm ourselves with the same understanding. Trials do not mean that the Lord has forgotten. Often they are the situations where God show, showcases his amazing grace and glory. Right? In those trials, we shine brightly because of him. Being hurt by others, rejected, Falsely accused, etc., does not mean that you should respond in kind. It doesn't mean that the Lord has forgotten, but instead we are to seek God's glory and entrust ourselves to Him who judges justly. If there are some here this morning who have not believed in Jesus, who are saying, I'm not even sure what I what I believe about what you're saying. I'm not sure if I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Savior of the world. But I ask you to consider this morning, just for a second. You're here with us. We're gonna let this guy go by. He's about to make a loud noise. Well, maybe not. He's about to get pulled over. All right. Uh, anyway. Uh, if you are here not believing in Jesus, have you considered? Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe you saw a story on the news like the collapse of an apartment building in Miami. And you say, where's your God? Where's God in that? Why doesn't he stop things like this from happening? 
Have you considered that pain and trial may be God's means of calling you to listen to him? Seek him, believe him. Do we think that there's anything particularly bad about the people in Miami who, upon whom that apartment building collapsed? Do we think that they are worse people than anybody else? And God went and got them. The answer is no. And stories like that and situations like that serve to remind us that our day will come too. And often God uses pain and trial to open deaf ears to say, where, where are you, Lord? Or who are you, Lord? To seek after him, to believe in him. The cupbearer forgot Joseph, but the Lord did not forget Joseph. When we feel forgotten by the Lord, brothers and sisters, be reminded that even if the whole world forgets, the Lord will not forget. I'm on point four, by the way, just in case you're wondering, like, where, where are we in this thing? We're, we're, we're bringing it in for a landing. Because Joseph sits in the shadow of one yet to come. How do I know the Lord hasn't forgotten us? How do I know the Lord does not forget us? Because Joseph sits in the shadow of one yet to come. One who knows humiliation who was despised by those who should have welcomed him, who was rejected, sold, stripped, mocked, beaten, and left to die. And he endured it silently. He endured it willingly. What humility, what humiliation, as we read at the beginning of the service from Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus left his eternal glory and took on flesh. He made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He came as one who serves. We learn in the, in the book of Hebrews that Jesus, the founder of our salvation, was made perfect through suffering. Not that he was lacking anything, but his suffering made him the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He learned obedience in its full extent through what he suffered. He came to this land and suffered that we might have freedom and salvation. When I say that the story of Joseph lives in the shadow of the gospel, what I mean is that the Lord has been telling us and foretelling the gospel story from the very beginning. The gospel of Jesus has been the plan before the foundation of the world. And Jesus' work would happen at a definitive moment in time. But well before Jesus came to earth, the Lord was telling the story. He was preparing the people. What gospel hints do we see today? We need a brother to suffer for us if we want to be saved. Those brothers didn't know what they were doing, right? They thought they were ending the dream when they threw Joseph in that pit, right? What were they doing, actually? They were making that dream come true by their plans. We need a brother to suffer for us if we want to be saved. And Joseph's brothers did not know what they were doing. 
but they were bringing about their own salvation. His brothers did not stop the dreams, but are the means by which they are fulfilled. We're going to get to that next week. But first, Joseph had to suffer for a little while. How familiar does this sound? We get the privilege of celebrating at the Lord's table this morning. Jesus Christ was handed over and ultimately killed by those who thought they were putting his work to an end. They thought that they were ending it. He said he came to save, and as he hung on the cross, what were the people saying to him? He saved others. He can't save himself. But they didn't know that he didn't save himself because he was dying to save them. That he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross to be our salvation. His blood shed would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He endured the agony. He endured the humiliation for us, bearing the weight of our sin. Unless you think this is some story about people out there who mistreated Jesus, please be assured that you would have and do the same. How do I know it? Because I know what our hearts are like. By nature, we don't want to bow the knee to anyone, even the God of the universe. By nature, we want to be commanders of our own destiny. We don't want to have another lead us or guide us, another that we need to submit to. We live for the kingdom of self, even if it means putting the son of God to death. Yet we can rejoice this morning. We can celebrate this morning. Though we were the ones who put him to death, it is through that very means that we have the hope of salvation. The dead one did not stay dead. The one in the pit, he ain't going to be in the pit forever. The one in the prison, he ain't going to be in the prison forever. The dead one did not stay dead, but was raised in victory over sin and the grave. The risen one does not exact vengeance. He doesn't come back to exact vengeance, but to offer salvation to all who believe. And for all who believe, he offers forgiveness of sins. He offers forgiveness of sins past. He offers forgiveness of sins committed this very week, this very day. How sweet it is to know and taste we're going to get to taste the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. We learn, this is an amazing thing. I thought about it. So Joseph is, let me just pause here. We're, we're really landing the plane. All right, I'll keep going. Thank you, Jake. Zach's hot. All right. Jo Joseph is rejected by his brothers. And we're going to see next week that he becomes the salvation of his brothers. And as we come to the Lord's table, we can consider the depth of our rejection of Jesus. Our desire to be Lord of our own lives, commander of our own destinies. And he died for us. And the scriptures say in the book of Hebrews that this Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. 
If I think, I mean, you think about your life, right? Jesus is not ashamed to call those he died for brothers and sisters. He should, I feel like he should be ashamed to call me brother. Look how far short I fall. He died for his brothers and sisters. He loves his brothers and sisters. And he calls us his through faith. We have a wonderful brother, a wonderful savior who went to the pit for us and who was raised in glory. Hope in him today. Even if it's for the first time, I beg you, hear and believe this Jesus, the offer of salvation is to all who hear and believe, who turn from sin and trust in self and believe that his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for the forgiveness of salvation or forgiveness of sins and salvation of our souls. And that this Jesus is no longer dead, but risen and reigning. Savior of all. We get to go to the Lord's table now and celebrate that. And as we take, and I, I did it again. My, Jake, my, uh, thank you. It's only like the, the eighth time I've done this uh, since we've been outside. Come up here. Thanks, Jake. <clears throat> Who should share in the Lord's table this morning? We, we take the Lord's Supper together because we believe it is a, a community meal. The Lord died for his bride, for a people, to purchase a people for himself. Uh, we believe that those who should take this morning are those who are believing in, trusting in Christ's finished sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. All who are believing can take and rejoice together in his death and resurrection. If you're here today and you are not believing in Christ, if you are saying, I don't know who he is, we don't mean to be exclusionary, but we believe the scriptures say, we know the scriptures say, those who are not believing in Christ should not take the Lord's Supper. This is our public declaration of our trust in his finished work for us. So we ask that you not take if you do not believe. If you're here and you are a believer and you have not been baptized, if you're not a part of a local church, we would encourage you to consider that this is God's ordinary way of doing things is, is to have you be baptized as a believer, folded into a congregation, and then share the Lord's Supper together. But again, for all who are believing and trusting in Christ today, you can take with thanksgiving. We remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sharing the Passover meal with his disciples. And at the meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Jesus was stripped and mocked and humiliated and thrown in the pit, dying the most excruciating, humiliating death. And when the people said he can't save himself, the reason why was because he was dying to save us. So we take the body of Christ with thanksgiving. Eat the body of Christ broken for you.
When the supper was over, Jesus took the cup. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. His blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The brothers took his robe and they, they dipped it in goat's blood to pretend that he had been killed. Jesus truly killed, truly his blood shed. That we who believe in him, it's an amazing thing. We get to wear his robe, the robe of righteousness. All our righteousness apart from him, filthy rags. In Christ, we are clothed with the robe of righteousness. Seen as righteous through his shed blood. Take and drink, thankful for the forgiveness of sins. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us to be reflective, to be mindful that all we have is by your grace and mercy. We thank you that we can share this meal together as a reminder of your grace and mercy in our lives, of the forgiveness of sins, the sins that we brought before you maybe earlier in the service, the sins that are on our hearts, the sins that we have been forgiven for in the past and the ways that we still fall short. Lord, our desire is to glorify you, but we need your grace and mercy every single day. And so we thank you that we can share at the Lord's table and be reminded that today, the grace and mercy of Jesus is still for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body and your shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. We pray this in your name. Amen.